Well, hello, my name is Joe Andrews. If you're a guest here, um, I am not the senior pastor, so I will not be the face that you get to see every week when you come here. That would be the senior pastor who you get to see, and I, there's no way, you know, to get the title senior, you got to be over 55, and I'm not even close. Uh, but it's cool. Pastor is here with us today, and he's just waiting for a chance for, uh, for me to say something so that he could give me a big, hearty Texas amen. Am I right, brother? I figured out. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited to be with you here today. I'm so excited to preach the word. It's my passion. It's what I love. Uh, I really feel like the Lord has gifted me in this, and so I'm just excited just to be here with you today. You saw that we're actually starting a new series today. The series is called Interconnect, and what I hope over this series is I hope that I can show you different ways that you're connected and interconnected to several different things. In fact, for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the following things. We're going to be looking at family today, and we're going to look at community next week. The week after, we're going to look at the church, and then the week after, we're going to look at the world and how these things benefit from our being a part of them and how we benefit from being a part of those things and how everything is interconnected. And, and so my goal for today, and we, as we're talking about family, is to hopefully remind you of one thing, that, that family, that the connection that you have with family is a deep connection. You guys know this already. It's blood. It's deep. You have all of your, you have children maybe, maybe you don't. Uh, maybe, you have, maybe you have your parents, you have aunts and uncles. You have family in your life and those Family connections run deep. But one thing that I really want you to see today, in fact, the thing that I want you to see above everything else today, is that God's connection to your family is actually deeper than your own. That's what I want you to see today, that, that you do have a strong and a deep connection with your family, but God's connection to your family is so much deeper. It runs deeper than even blood. And so that's what I hope that we are able to show you today and in the coming weeks how we're just interconnected to all of these uh, different things. Uh, I don't know if you caught it, but in the nine weeks that we weren't meeting here at the building, uh, the staff put out a video about our kids. I don't know if you saw this. If you did not see this video, you got to get on Facebook. It's absolutely hilarious. We just share all of the things that our kids were doing as they were cooped up in quarantine for nine weeks, and it got out of hand, and it got out of hand really fast. So get on Facebook, scroll all the way down until you see that wherever it is. It's awesome. You're going to want to see it. It was right after that video, though, that I found myself putting out another fire that my kids had started. This time, it was a literal fire. Uh, and here's what happened. My son, on his 13th birthday, received a box of fireworks from my dad. <laughs> Parker's eyes were this big, and he's like, this is awesome. My eyes are the same amount as big because I don't care how old you are. If you're a man, a box of fireworks is just a box of fun. So my eyes are this big. I look over to my wife. She is passed out. She sees what is going to happen. She knows that this is going to end up like with us without a home or with one of our children missing a limb or a finger or something, and she's just out cold. So here's what happens. The, uh, the kids decide, all right, we're going to pop some firecrackers in the patio area, and we're all there, and uh, it gets a little annoying because firecrackers are really loud. So I said, all right, take it out, uh, take it out to the yard somewhere and, and go ahead and do that. So I go inside. My wife leaves the, the home. That was her first mistake. <laughs> what, what was she thinking? Uh, 
And, and here's what happens. Jack and Parker are in the backyard, and their firework of choice is the bottle rocket. The bottle rocket is great. Now, they don't have a bottle. They have a cinder block, and they're putting them in there, and they're just launching them up. It, they're little tiny bottle rockets, too. You wouldn't have thought that this havoc would come from this little thing. But they shoot one, and the wind catches, and it blows it behind them. Well, right behind them is our neighbor's trees that hang over into our yard, and it's, they're Afghan trees. I don't know if you know about Afghan trees. If you're ever looking for tinder in the wilderness, look for an Afghan tree, okay? Because that is what catches fire quickly. Okay, so I'm, I'm in my house, and I'm, uh, I'm just playing Mario Kart on my phone because I'm amazing, and I'm trying to beat more people and get higher scores, and Jack comes in, and he is frantic. He's, he's, he's panting. He's like, okay, Dad, <sighs> Dad, and I was like, dude, you just got to tell me what's going on. He's like, the trees are on fire, and I was like, okay, so I go out. And it was an understatement. I could not believe how much fire was in these trees when I got out there. And my first thought, and I said it out loud, was, why didn't you guys come get me sooner? Have you just been watching it? (laughs) So I run and I get the hose. And I put my finger over the hose so that I can reach the 20 feet up to the fire and try and put this thing out. Meanwhile, my mom happens to be there. And my mom is already on the phone with the fire department because I asked her to call and as soon as I put my, my thumb over the hose, uh, it, it, something reminded me that my children had broken the hose earlier that week. What had happened was they left the water on so long, it just busted a hole right near the end. So I do this, and the hose shoots out this way. I'm like, I got to figure this out because, I mean, the neighbor's RV was parked under these trees. I'm telling you, this was going to get out of hand, and it was going to get out of hand quick. So I shove my finger there. Well, that makes everything just spray right in my face. I'm totally drenched. I put my thumb on the end, and I'm able to get the flames out. I tell my mom, go ahead and hang up. Uh, with the fire department, I think we got everything under control. Everything is going to be fine. And it's about that time when my daughter comes up to me, and she has my phone in her hand. And I said, what, uh, what are you doing? And she's like, well, what do you want me to tell mom? I was like... <laughs> I don't want you to tell her anything. Well, she's like, well, don't you want me to tell her that you put it out? And I was like, what, what, what do you mean? And she's like, well, when you were doing all that, I texted her that the trees are on fire. And I was like, oh my gosh, you, mom doesn't need to know what happens at the house when she's not here. I'll tell her when she returns. It's things like this that make us concerned about our children. Are they going to make it in life? Are they going to be able to get past a certain point in their life? Can they make it on their own, or is just everything going to burn? Uh, We're so concerned about our family and our kids especially. We're so concerned uh, whether maybe they're going to get hurt if they play a sport. We're concerned uh, if, if everything is going to go okay at school. Well, now school's not a thing. So we were concerned about what would happen at school. We're concerned about the friends that they make. We're concerned about so many things. And as Christians, we're even concerned about a little more. We're concerned about our, our kids' spiritual lives. I mean, if you just think about the guys on staff and their parents and what they must have thought uh, as they were growing uh, older, I mean, just think of Barry's parents. Like, Barry has told me that he and his parents didn't think he was getting past 18 years old. The pastor's mother chased him with a knife at some point. He wasn't going to make it far. We worry about our kids, and we worry about them so much because they're so 
dear to us. And that's really kind of where we're going to come in to the story today. And Jesus tells a parable that's really going to kind of help us put all of this in perspective. The really cool thing about this parable is that Jesus tells this parable two times in totally different contexts. In fact, he tells it in Luke 15. Let me tell you the context of Luke 15 when he's telling this parable. He is eating with sinners and tax collectors, and everybody around him thought that that was a bad habit except for the sinners and the tax collectors, and so they start calling him out on it, and Jesus tells the parable that we're going to be looking at today, and he follows it with two other parables. One is the lost coin, and one is the lost son or the prodigal son. You know that. The story that we're going to be looking at today, the parable that we're going to be looking at is actually the parable of the lost sheep. And Jesus tells that parable in Luke 15, and the whole emphasis is on the fact that he comes and he seeks and saves that which is lost. He came to reach sinners, so of course, he's going to be a God that is going to spend time with those same sinners. Now, we're going to be also be in Matthew 18. That's really where we're going to be most of, of the time today. And here, here's the context of Matthew 18, all right? If you look in the very first verses of Matthew 18, Jesus is teaching, and somebody asks him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus thinks about it for a second, and I guess he looks around, and he's like, I need a prop. And he finds a kid, and he uses this kid as a prop. So he brings a child on, and this is, this is what Jesus says. Unless you turn and become like one of these children, one of these little ones, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, okay? Then he teaches another little teaching about children once again. And this one, he, he really is just telling people, you don't want to be the cause of one of these little children sinning. You don't want to be the cause making a child sin or making a child stumble in their faith. It would be better for you to be drowned is basically what Jesus said. And that brings us to the third teaching on little children. So it's really cool just to think Jesus told the same parable one time in the context of eating with sinners and one time in the context of little children. And so we're going to be looking at that today. Now, I, I know you were probably hoping if I'm going to teach on family and if I'm going to teach on parenting that I would go to the best exorcism passage in the scriptures, but that is not what I decided to do. We're going with Matthew 18 because it's going to really help us understand some of the deep connections that we have. So right now I want to read uh, this passage to you and I'll, uh, I'll read it on the screen. This is what Jesus says. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. Verse 14, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Just a little more context to this story. Jesus is teaching to a crowd like he always did. And the crowd was not only a crowd of parents who were worried about their little ones. In fact, Jesus was talking to a crowd very similar to the crowd that I'm talking to today. We have all types of people in here, but he still wanted to stress the importance of little ones. And this is the very first thing that he says to them. Jesus warns everyone not to despise children. All right, now, 
Just to put things a little more into context, uh, it wasn't that people just hated children back in that day, but children were definitely like second or third class citizens, okay? And the word despise is probably a really strong word for us. For, for us, that means it's just hate. It really just means look down upon. It's not like the people in Jesus' day would pass a child and look at them and say, I despise you. They wouldn't do that, okay? They were just not to look down on children anymore. And then Jesus gives a reason why they're not supposed to do that. And this reason is absolutely nothing that we would have picked, okay? Don't despise children. Here's the reason right here. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven, all right? Now, a lot of people use this text as a pretext to say, little ones have guardian angels, and we all have guardian angels, and the guardian angels guard our lives and everything like that. I don't think so at all. I think if God wanted to talk, if we even had guardian angels and God wanted to talk about that, Jesus would have said guardian angels right here, okay? He's not talking about that at all. In fact, he's just stressing the importance of humanity and little ones in particular to the angels. And why do the angels have such an importance or view humanity with such importance? It's because they are always in the presence of God and God sees humanity with great importance. And so what we see is God just reminding, don't despise these little ones because even the angels in heaven are looking down and smiling upon them and valuing them because they are valuable because God says that they're valuable. The next thing that I really want you to see is that God is concerned when one of his children goes astray. I just want to read the parable real quick. It's one sentence. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? So the shepherd has 100 sheep. They are his sheep. They're no one else's sheep. He is the one who is in charge of them. They are his, and he loves them. Every last one of them is his. Now, at the end of this uh, parable, we learn that the shepherd is to teach us something true about God. And the sheep are actually supposed to teach us something true about little ones and all of God's little ones, all of God's children, you and I, those who have made a decision to follow Christ, okay? And so in this context, we have a shepherd who loves his sheep, and on the other side, we have a God who loves his children, and he loves little ones. Don't forget that, God, that Jesus is still using a little one that's probably climbing all over him while he's trying to teach this as an example, okay? Because he wants everybody to understand exactly what he's saying now, this sheep, then, he's part of the hundred. It's the shepherd's sheep, and the shepherd just kind of, I mean, sorry, the sheep just kind of strays off at some point, and the, the shepherd is probably looking at his sheep, and he's counting them. He said, okay, 99, where's, where's the last one? So he counts them again, and he realizes one of my sheep is missing. I have to go and search for the sheep. Well, this is a physical being lost, okay? The sheep is actually lost. The, the shepherd doesn't know its location, can't hear uh, the sheep's voice, can't, hear, uh, can't see the sheep anywhere, so the shepherd is literally going to have to leave and search for it. When we bring this back to God and his children, 
when God's children stray from him, it's not a location thing. It's not like Joe goes behind the organs and, and uh, God says, well, I wonder where Joe is. I guess I'm going to need to go search for him because I don't see him. It's not that kind of a thing at all. In fact, this is a spiritual lostness, okay? This is a spiritual distancing from the Lord, okay? It's his sheep that are there that wander away. They're already his, but they wander, all right? So if we're thinking about it, God has all of his children and some of his children, in this case, one of his children, goes astray and socially distances himself and relationally distances himself from the Lord. And it's a dangerous place for a child of God to be, and being lost is a dangerous place for a sheep to be. And God is going to do whatever he needs to do to make sure that the little one comes back because it's his. Now, the next thing I want you to see is that God goes to great lengths to bring back a child that has wandered away. I have another little story for you, a little family story. Since we're talking about family anyway, my daughter has a $15.99 hamster. Its name is Piper. And Piper is the cutest little hamster. Uh, London actually goes and gets the hamster before she gets up and watches TV in the morning and brings it to watch TV with her, pets the hamster. The hamster will go to sleep on my daughter, and they're just best of friends. Well, one day... The hamster is not in its cage in the morning, and we come to the realization the hamster is lost somewhere in the house. Now, I don't know if you've lost a hamster in a house, but you don't usually find a lost hamster. They just kind of stay lost, and then like years later, maybe you find a, a little ball of fluff somewhere, and you might assume that that was, that was the hamster. All right, so I, I like this hamster too, but for a totally different reason, because the 1599 hamster turned into a $315.99 sorry, $315.99 hamster, and the reason was is because the pouch in the hamster's mouth came outside of its mouth, and we had to take it to the vet clinic because my daughter, who's beautiful, looks at me with the saddest eyes that I've ever seen and says, there's something wrong with my hamster. What are we going to do? And I could not say, well, we'll just get another one. <laughs> I said, I will think of what to do <laughs> and think of how to break this to you. And I am the one that ends up caving. I take it to the vet clinic, hamster surgery, $300. All right. So I'm really invested in this hamster. So I really, really want to find the hamster. The love that London has for that hamster drives her to search for that hamster in every nook and cranny in the house, and my investment in the hamster helps me help her. Uh, I really do love the hamster. Sometimes London just brings it to me at the end of the day, and she's like, do you want to kiss Piper goodnight? And I was like, no, <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> But I will if you really need me to. So I've, I've kissed a hamster. I'll just, I'll just lay that out there right now. All right. So uh, the, the love that London had to find her hamster is what helped her find the hamster. And it's, it, listen, it's the same with the shepherd and the sheep. He is driven by love to go and search for that sheep as much as he can. It's the same with God. He searches for the one who has distanced himself spiritually from the Lord. In fact, 
It's a spiritual searching. We already talked about this, but how does God spiritually search for someone who is trying to distance themselves from the Lord? He will go searching. This is, it's a beautiful passage. The Lord will do anything that he can except force that one to come back. In fact, he will remind that person of scripture. He will speak to their heart. He will speak to their mind. He will bring people into their life to say, you need to get back to the Lord. He will work through circumstances. He will do anything he can to search the one who is trying to run away for whatever reason. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, uh, in the parable, Jesus says, if the shepherd finds the sheep, which means that's a possibility that the shepherd doesn't find the sheep. Okay, so the shepherd realizes the sheep is gone. He goes and searches. But if he finds it, then he will rejoice. But what if he doesn't? Well, he doesn't find a sheep, and he only has 99 sheep. Now, could this be something similar to have to do with Jesus, uh, with God, and how he works with his children? Absolutely. Because like I just said, God isn't going to force that one who has wandered off to come back. He's going to speak to them. He's going to search for them spiritually. He's going to do everything he can. But in the end, he's not going to force them to come back. Maybe they've hardened their hearts against him and they don't want to, but he is not going to relent he is going to continue pursuing. He's going to continue seeking the one that is lost. It's a beautiful picture. Now, what happens when God finds the one who was spiritually distanced from him? He rejoices. I don't know if London had more tears when she realized that she didn't have her hamster or when she finally had it in her hands again. She was hysterical, crying, kissing the hamster, more kisses than I've ever given the hamster. And she was so happy to have it back in her hands because what was lost was now found. It's the same with the Lord. He rejoices more over the one that comes back, Jesus says, than of the 99 who never went astray. Isn't that beautiful? Can you just picture God celebrating the fact that one of his children has returned to him after he has searched and searched and searched and done everything that he could except force them to bring them back to his side? So what does all this have to do with family? Because we're talking about family, we're talking about interconnect and interconnection and connection and things like that. What does this have to do with all of that? Well, I hope that I can kind of sum everything up in a way that helps you love little ones, all right, and also really see the value for this in your family. Here's the first thing that I want you to see as we talk about family. Listen to this. This is something that we probably forget as parents. Your little ones are God's little ones. Your little ones that you care so much about, my four that I love with all of my heart, my little ones, one is 13. My little ones are starting to be not so little anymore. The ones that I care about, the ones that I'm concerned about, the ones that I'm worried for, if they're gonna make it, if they're gonna do okay in this world, are they gonna follow the Lord? My little ones are actually God's little ones. God also is concerned about my children and he's concerned about your children. He wants to make sure that all of our children are with him and he's going to do everything in his power to search them if they begin to wander off from him. Here's the next thing I want you to see is that God loves your little ones more than you. 
You love your little ones. You would do anything for them. If they got lost, I mean, you guys, some of you have lived that, right? If they get lost for even a small moment, you're frantic trying. I've, just right, right, right as I say that, I remember that the other day I took my, my two daughters somewhere and forgot to tell my wife that I took them. She was not happy. She was like, the girls are gone. They are gone. They're not in the house. They're not in the yard. They're not down the street or anything. And I was like, I am so sorry. I thought you were going to still be asleep. And I, I have them with me. They're, everything's good. But don't we go frantic when something like that happens to our kids because we love them so much? God loves them more than you. You have to know that. And that brings us really back full circle to the fact that God's connection to your family is even deeper than yours. If your child ever spiritually distances themselves from the Lord, you can bank on the fact that God is going to be searching them out and trying to bring them back. It's just a fact. So now, as we get to our invitation time, I want you to think about a few things. Maybe as we go to prayer and then through the song, I want you to ask yourself this question. If you have kids, ask yourself this question. Do I trust God with my family? 100%. Now, I'm saying 100%. Do you know how hard it is for a parent to let go and say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. Now, we're going to do everything in our power that we can to get our children to follow the Lord and to love them with all of his heart. But in the, at the end of the day, God is going to be doing more for them. And if they ever spiritually distance themselves from the Lord, God is going to be right there drawing them back in. Do you trust your family fully to the Lord? One of the really cool things about parables is, or really any story for that matter, is when you read a parable in the scriptures, what you usually do is you put yourself inside the parable somewhere. Now, maybe some of you as parents put yourself in the part where you're kind of the shepherd. You hear the shepherd story. You're not thinking you're God or anything, but you're like, I, I have my own little sheep, and if anything would it, were to happen to them, I would go and I would search them. Maybe that's where you put yourself in the this, in this story today. Maybe some of you put yourself in the, uh, the other part where there's 99 sheep who didn't stray off. Maybe, you're just, maybe you just had a solid walk with the Lord for a long time. But I guarantee you that today there's someone in here, or maybe more than one, maybe there's two or three, that right now as you heard that story, you put yourself in the shoes of the sheep that wandered off. He doesn't really have shoes, but he did wander off. You can't really put yourself in the shoes of the sheep. Maybe that's where you placed yourself. Maybe you were the sheep. Maybe you wandered off a long time ago. Maybe you're back now. But I know there's some people here today that would say, I'm the wandering sheep now. Could it be that God is searching, using this message, using all the people here just to search you, to get you to come back? Is this his way of saying, it's time now. The time for running and distancing yourself and separating yourself from me, it's done. Come back. Look at the kind of God I am. I am the kind of God who will search you, who loves you more than your parents, who's concerned about you more than your parents. I don't know where you placed yourself in that parable today or how you need to exactly respond to this message. Maybe you just need to come back to the flock. Maybe you're not a part of a church right now. 
Maybe this is a great place for you to start worshiping the Lord. I'll tell you one thing. There's nobody that gets on this stage that doesn't preach excellent messages and that doesn't do everything they can to honor God in every single thing that they say up here. It's a beautiful church for that one reason alone. I love and respect each man that gets up here and delivers a message. I don't know how you need to respond, but right now we're going to bow our heads in prayer and we're going to have a time of invitation. If you need to speak with a pastor, you can do that. If you need to give your life to the Lord for the very first time, you can do that as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, what an amazing picture of you that we have in this parable about the shepherd and the sheep. God, we love you so much. We thank you that you love us more than anyone else loves us in the world, and you're more concerned about us than anyone else because we're your creation, and the creation-creature relationship will trump the parent-child relationship any day of the week. We love you for loving us. God, I pray that you would move in hearts to respond to your word, how they need to respond to your word today. We thank you for blessing us with your word and we bank on it. Every time we enter this building, for the rest of our lives, God, we wanna bank on the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray.